The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. You're watching Squawkbox with Karen Cho and myself, Steve Sedgwick. It's an absolutely key day today, this Friday. U.S. stocks, though, rebounding from a steep two-day sell-off as a run of weak economic data builds hopes of a Fed rate cut later this month. Well, eyes are turning to the non-farm payrolls report with investors bracing for more disappointment, which could seemingly seal the deal for the central bank. President Trump, meanwhile, doubling down on his call for Ukraine to investigate the Bidens and urges China to look into matters too as the impeachment inquiry moves forward. Mark Zuckerberg defends the encryption of Facebook's messaging services as the US, UK and Australia call on the social network to end the plan. Day on the street. It uh, is pretty hard to imagine at one point in session how we would get to this type of finish as we saw deep red ink marking a third day of losses for the month of October. So, continuing the sell off that we've had since we started a fresh month, the volatility uh, fairly extreme. But getting past the initial reaction to the ISM services number, and don't forget, uh, initially the market had been spooked this week by the manufacturing numbers. So, services just coming on top of that. Once we got past some of those issues and investors uh, traded through the rest of the day, we put green back onto the board. So quite extraordinary turnaround. So in terms of reversal from the lows of the day, 1.758% reversal, the, the biggest change we've seen from lows to highs since uh, the 7th of August when the, the market, when the Dow managed to rally just over 2% off its lows. So quite a stunning victory for the Dow to have a modest almost half of a percent on the charts by the close. Eight tens on the S&P and it was strong, 1.1% for the tech-heavy index, the NASDAQ, which tells you a story about which sectors led the charge back and it was very much a game around technology. Strong leadership shown from that sector, helping a break a two-day losing streak. Semis are pushing much, much higher and uh, you've got to say across the board, investors sort of got back into the game. One of the issues though has been the volatility we're now seeing in markets. Hard to step away from that. So today's session will be incredibly interesting as we count down to huge data point non-farm payrolls. So don't forget as we saw the manufacturing numbers earlier this week, investors started to question just how immune the employment side, just how immune the worker would be from some of the stresses in manufacturing also spilling across to services. So a read-in will be incredibly important into this part of the economy. 150,000 jobs, uh, slightly higher expectation on this chart than some of the other market expectations, but 150,000 expected, previously 164,000 jobs created. The unemployment rate is likely to stay at 3.7% steady and average hourly earnings may tick up slightly by 0.2% versus the growth that you saw previously of almost 0.4%. So this is a huge focus for markets and may prove somewhat volatile in terms of risk events for investors. Let's take a look at the Treasury market. Oh, we did push lower, of course, uh, in the session with all of that volatility at one point. The level we're at uh, on the two-year yield, 1.39% versus the one53 on the 10-year. So investors did at one stage stampede back into the safe haven space. Dollar two was bit of a casualty in session as you saw that connection with yields at one point. So we did see the dollar on the defensive as it traded throughout that day. If we can switch over the charts and show you the dollar. Uh, the uh, in trade this morning, the dollar is also on the back foot versus the Japanese yen, 106.80 roughly, 
1.1477 on dollar yen. And if you look at the other uh, more risk on currencies, uh, they have got the march on the dollar this morning. Sterling and euro just uh, leaning into the green. Asian markets. So let's take a look at that trade to close out Friday. It's a tricky one for this part of the world, looking at some of that green from Wall Street and trading high, but then also very conscious that this jobs report will cross later in the day when Asia is well and truly closed for business. So the markets, it is a tentative for that Japanese market, two tenths of a percent. A little bit firmer for Australia. Don't forget China is out of action all week and until about Tuesday next week for Golden Week. The Hong Kong market trading lower by about half of a percent. So it is a, it's a cautious day of trade for those Asian stocks. Let's get into the opening calls here in Europe as we also chase green arrows, particularly you can see on the Italian market, triple digit point gain anticipated, but it has been also a fairly weak, soggy week of trade across on the European stock market. So we are looking for a bit more positive action this morning. Steve, nice to see you back. In yeah, the lovely studio. to see you, Karen. I can't tell you how pumped I am to be back around the desk as well. I've been on my travels. I've been to all over the place and, I, and I, there's so many things going on in the world as well. But do you know, can I be really indiscreet? You and I had a conversation off air, many conversations. Now you're looking nervous. But we had had one conversation off air where actually it wasn't me and you. I was listening into your conversation with the producers. And you said to the producers, I want the payroll wall everywhere. I want to do it. And every time I hit the wall, it is absolutely pivotal that we look at the data today as Mm -hmm. well. And straight away, as ever, you got me thinking. And I thought to myself, I hear what Karen's saying. Karen is right. But then I thought to myself, it's always about the data. No matter what the bluster is, no matter what Mr. Trump says, no matter what Mr. Johnson says, no matter what Monsieur Macron says, it's always about the data because mm. that is the brick at the bottom, the foundation for which every bit of political rhetoric, every bit of trade discussion, every bit of concern about tariffs feeds off or feeds into. So it's always about the data. It's just a question about the market's attention span in the meantime. Yeah, I think this one is a little bit more heightened for me because Main Street has been a bit more contained in a sense in the United States because the consumer has been getting uh, slightly higher wages, there's employment, there's job prospects. However, Mm. if we see any of that confidence rattled, that could be quite a big event for the US given the strong consumption market that is there and uh, given the consumer confidence numbers only just started to waver a little bit. So whether we are seeing more of a reversal, this will be You're right, of course, and we'll we'll speak to Thanos Papasavis about this in a few moments' time. But uh, in the meantime, you worried about which conversation I meant, weren't you? We had a lot of chats before the show. I had a lot to get off my chest. I haven't seen Karen for a good eight days. Without arguing with my younger sister, it's not good fun. At five o'clock in the morning. A little bit earlier, yeah. Okay, the EU will not immediately retaliate against US plans for tariffs on up to $7.5 billion worth of European goods. The EU Commission says it will continue to pursue a negotiated solution with the US despite regret over Washington's decision. That's a really important line, by the way, despite regret over Washington's decision. I have an issue with that line as well, but that's myself I'm arguing with, so we'll move on. Uh, President Trump has hailed the tariffs as a victory, arguing that the EU has taken advantage of the US. Again, where are we at in the broader process? I'll come back to that. Meanwhile, Italian cheesemakers, yes, no less, say they will be unfairly hit by the US duties. A group representing the producers highlighted the impact on Parmesan cheese, saying the tariffs will lead to a rise in prices in the US, which will in turn hurt demand. Let's get to Willem on this, who joins us from... Well, you've got a cushy number there. I get the Tory party Congress, you get... Cheese and Parma, that's fantastic. You deserve it, by the way, for all your hard work. But my problem with this whole story is the Europeans are saying we regret what the US is doing. This is a US issue that's created this. But it's not. The WTO's ruled against them. It's an impartial body, isn't it, Willem? Good morning to you. 
Yeah, it's arbitrators at the WTO. So a highly impartial decision we had earlier this week, of course, that ruling against Airbus. And there was an acknowledgement, of course, that this was due to a lack of compliance on the EU side. And when it came to subsidies to Airbus, they <clears throat> essentially had a ruling against them many, many years ago. They made a few changes to the way that they funded and supported the launch efforts for aircraft under Airbus. But essentially, they didn't follow all of the guidelines and obligations laid down by that early WTO ruling. And that's why we end up in this situation today. What you'll hear again and again and again from people at the Commission and indeed other foreign governments around the EU is that, well, that's all good and well, but the US has been just as bad when it comes to tax concessions from Washington State to Boeing, as well, of course, uh, you know, some of the research programs that have helped fund uh, Boeing when it comes to, you know, US Department of Defense and NASA in particular. In terms of the decision that will follow a few months from now, that's where the crux of this argument from the commission kind of holds some water because, of course, if the U.S. has done very similar things, also failed to comply, also subsidized some of its companies, then they're no better. And what's the point of inflicting these tariffs now, given the EU can do the same in a few months' time, when often amongst European economists, at least, there's an agreement that it doesn't really help either side. In terms of the cheesemakers, don't forget the cheesemakers, because if you look at the size of the exports from a country like Italy, which has had nothing to do with this Airbus subsidy scandal, they are going to face some real challenges when it comes to reaching American consumers affordably. These Parmesan wheels, they're 40 kilos each. You have hundreds of litres of milk going into making each one. Thousands of dairies in this region between the River Po and Areno in sort of north central Italy involved in this, 50,000 workers involved in this. And if they're facing 25% tariffs on these cheeses arriving in the United States, they're saying that's going to be a 12% increase for consumers. And they expect and have concerns those consumers will look for cheeses elsewhere. Italian cheese has had an absolutely incredible run the last few years. They've seen their exports rising and rising and rising. And Parmesan has been at the real forefront of that. But going into these imposition of tariffs in mid-October, some real concerns in this region that they'll see those volumes decline and it'll be American consumers unwilling to pay those higher prices who will look for alternatives to Parmesan to put on top of their pasta. You can't really talk about cheese runs or runny cheese while you're looking at Parmesan because it's the opposite side of the equation. But I'll, I'll leave that one for the moment, though. But, but in all seriousness... President Trump last year, I remember this very well, in August last year said the creation of the WTO was the single worst deal ever. He was vehement that actually the US hated the WTO, could pull out of the WTO, and now he's lauding this amazing decision from the WTO. But my point is, isn't the whole process absolutely ludicrous? The fact that we can have this decision here, the US are putting uh, tariffs on the Europeans, and yet in a couple of months' time, the decision could almost be equated or negated, depending which way you look at it, by a decision against the US as well. Doesn't this show that after many, many years of coming to its decision, the WTO has really got its timing wrong and is actually incredibly dysfunctional, as the US originally criticised? It's, it's tricky, that argument, Stephen. I'll explain to you why. You know, the US did launch its complaint against Airbus before the EU launched a complaint against Boeing. That's not to say those two issues back in the 2004-2005 weren't relatively closely related. The arbitration process to decide on quite what the penalties potentially would be, that was suspended for many, many years towards the end of the Obama administration into the Trump administration, only really resumed last year. So in terms of the timeline... That suspension of the arbitration process, that was agreed to by both sides. 
with the expectation that there would be some kind of compromise, some kind of negotiated settlement in the meantime. Of course, if you're the European Commission, looking at the political situation in the United States, you may not have expected a President Trump in the White House who would be so aggressive when it came to trade tariffs. But in terms of the WTO's functioning, people there, you know, the last three years, you ask them about it, it's the fact that they're a pellet body, which is essentially the powerful element of that organization has been dwindling in terms of membership. It was meant to be seven members on that panel. There's now three, and that's simply because the US has been blocking any new people joining or any of the existing members' terms being extended. Uh, excellent. Thank you very much. Look, um, there are very strict rules of what CNBC can accept or not, but there are not strict rules of what like, we're allowed to buy legitimately when we go on trips as well. Are you going to be filling your suitcases with Palmer? The problem with this wheel, I tell you what, Steve, is it's actually heavier than the airline will allow. So I might have to take half of them back for the office to share. Oh, I like I liked his answer there. Yeah, the office to yeah, share. Yeah, I love it. Thank you, Willem. Excellent. Brilliant reporting. Do you need to refrigerate it? Huh? Do you need to keep it cool, the right temperature? I think cool, but I don't know about refrigerated. I think mm. it's just cool. I don't need to refrigerate right. it. Okay. Hence the rind. That keeps it, doesn't it? That's why you keeps have these heavy track. rinds on it. Yeah. Mm. Lovely. Let's bring in Thanos Papasavas to our cheese conversation. He's founder and CIO at ABP Invest. Thanos, I'm sure you got up very early to speak to us about Parmesan cheese. I want to get into the, the trade fight because we've got 7.5 billion in tariffs that have been lobbed. Could have been worse, but we are now watching for any retaliatory strike from the Europeans against American produce, which is a ratcheting up of tariff tensions. What does it mean as we've got concerns already about a global slowdown? Well, I think generally we're heading into November 2020 elections, as far as Trump is concerned, as far as the, the U.S. politics are concerned. And uh, Europe is an easy target. Uh, I think we're going to be seeing a shift away from the Chinese-U.S. trade tensions. I believe that these are going to be gradually easing towards the end of this year uh, and, and, and sort of be more helpful for the U.S. economy into 2020. But as, as, a, as, as a correction to that, we're going to be seeing a little bit more of a focus between U.S. and Europe and, and U.S. and Germany. So in that sense, I'd expect a, a decrease in tensions with China and a slightly increase in tensions with Europe. And what impact that has in the economy is going to be more positive than what the markets are expecting. Why is that not worse? Because if we think about China, there's many levers that the Chinese can pull to try and stabilise the economy. And we've certainly seen that over the course of time with monetary and fiscal policy. When it comes to Europe, virtually almost tapped out on monetary policy. And when it comes to fiscal policy, well, the Germans are still not signing up for any change to the status quo. So why is it not worse to have direct tariffs and a conflict with Europe. I, I agree that the impact is going to be direct in terms of the tariffs, but because of the broader trade sanctions easing out internationally, the broader sentiment, I think, globally in the global economy is going to be improving. So as a result of that, uh, countries such as Germany, which is exporting over sort of 40% of its GDP equivalent, is going to be benefiting from the broader easing of tensions internationally whilst adversely being impacted specifically with the US. And that may impact France more than Germany. Thanos, because you say things in such a nice, reasonable way, I almost missed a huge comment that you made in your first sentence there, but I did get it. And you said, I think tensions will be easing off on China and the US and moving on to Europe. What evidence is there... Good morning to you, my friend. Good morning. What evidence is there of any easing off on US-Chinese tensions? I see nothing that says those tensions are easing off. And you say towards the end of this year, we've only got a couple of months, and let's face it, meaningfully, yeah. meaningfully with Christmas coming, not even that. I think there's, there's two reasons for it. Number one is the US economic data, which has been starting to show some signs of weakness, mm. as per data yesterday. Number two, we're heading into... Why does, why does into weaker data equal rapprochement trans-Pacific? 
because that we're, we're heading into the November 2020 elections. So a year from now, it's elections. President Trump wants to get reelected. He knows. Well, you just said he'll start another fight with the Europeans and he'll lessen the fight with the Chinese, but he hasn't won his fight with the Chinese yet. No. So he's going to ease the fighting with the Chinese, which helps both sides, and we can talk about that now or, or, or later, so it's been beneficial for both the Chinese and the US for that to ease. Um, and as a result, I think that will ease the pressure into financial markets, the global sentiment, which will avoid the US into heading into a recession. Right. I think prime focus is US avoids an economic recession, and yes, there will be a little bit of a play with, 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 with Europe. Thanos, uh, thank you very much for staying with us uh, for a little bit longer. I want to get into uh, some of the tariffs and just take a look at the size of what has now been lobbed. Tariffs against $7.5 billion worth of EU goods are set to come into effect on the 18th of October. However, the scale of these levies pales in comparison to Washington's ongoing trade spat with China. The US is scheduled to hike tariffs on some $250 billion worth of Chinese goods on the 15th of October. Hence, the slightly bigger ship there versus a little boat. Absolutely. Right, coming up on the show, we're going to be joined on set uh, by Martin Sorrell from S4 Capital. He's our guest host today, special guest host. And just a reminder, if you can't get enough of Sportbox, uh, be sure to tune in for our very own podcast. Head to cnbc.com, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast. Have a listen and download today's episode. For our listeners out there, stick around. We'll be right back. A CNBC signature event. East Tech West, CNBC's exclusive invitation-only retreat returns to Nanshao, Guangzhou, China in 2019. We explore all things tech from artificial intelligence to 5G. Join the world's most prolific investors, inventors and entrepreneurs as they share their stories and celebrate innovation. Visit EastTechWest.com for an application to attend. Mid-cycle adjustment? <laughs> or is it something else? That's the question, isn't it? Because hopes for a rate cut from the Federal Reserve are running high. Again, does that mean you guys out there, you ladies and gentlemen in market world, want a bad payroll figure today? It's on the screen. Or do you want a good payroll figure? I should say what it is because it's podcast listeners. So the Fed Fund's uh, futures market is now pricing in a near 90% chance of a quarter point rate cut at this month's central bank meeting and a 50% chance of another cut in December. This follows a run of weaker than expected US data. All eyes on the non-farm payroll report due today. 145,000 jobs expected to have been added in the month of September, following the previous month of 130,000. The US unemployment rate seen holding at 3.7% average. Hourly earnings, AHE growth, is forecast to have slowed to 0.2% according to Dow Jones. Our US colleagues will be speaking to two Fed presidents later on today. Tune in for a first on CNBC interview with Boston Fed President Eric Rosengren at 18.20 CET and an exclusive interview with Cleveland Fed President Loretta Mester at 2200 CET. And uh, Thanos, let me come back to you on that point because the dissenters have been seen as standing in the way of fresh rate cuts. But as the data has started to weaken, you've got to wonder what the argument is for some of those dissenters and whether we start to see the language change. What's your view on who's right, whether the market is right at this point or whether the Fed is going to be right? Well, my view that they should not be, they should not be cutting rates. Uh, th- this is not a problem, an economic problem, which is instigated by a gradual, slower economy through the cycles. 
it's been instigated by the geopolitical developments by President Trump's sort of tensions with China. So I don't believe the Fed, the Fed's job is, is there to put out the president's fires. Spoken like a true dissenter, which means you don't think the dissenters will be changing their language anytime soon. Correct. That- Very much so. That's a problem, though, for markets, isn't it? Because I saw earlier in the week, when we heard some weak data, the market reacted negatively. Yes. And I'll just pause on that. The market reacted negatively to weak data. And we've not seen that for a while because typically the central bank is thought to be stepping in and you start to see that positive reaction. So that means there could be more more, more market volatility if we get more weak data because there'll be natural question marks about how stimulatory the central bank will be at this point. Yeah. And, and also, my view is that we're going to be seeing a steepening of the curve. Uh, I, I think that the, uh, the the markets become too too dovish, and I'd expect the, the longer end of the curve to start rising again. So steepness of the curve rather than inversion of the curve. You, you've, you've, you've avoided the trap, which I was, I was hoping we could argue about. So well done for that. And I thought we could argue about the differences between what the Europeans are trying to do and the perceived impotency of the ECB to actually galvanise the European economy by having even lower rates, uh, and indeed the perception that actually the, Fed, the central bank in the United States, the Fed, can do something about it. So you, you've kind of gone where I thought on this one as well. It's not up necessarily to the central bankers to sort out the problems that the politicians either have created or indeed exacerbated. And again, not talking about any individual jurisdiction here as well. But in terms of another point, if I can just take us back to the payroll data as well, why do you disagree with me? Because I know you do, that it's all about data. Because Karen and I, I think we're on the same page on this one. It's all about data at the moment. And you were like really thumping the table in your quiet, beautiful way that you do these things, saying, actually, I really disagree. I, I do disagree. I think these are lagging indicators. Um, the data is very much driven. All data. Oh, PMIs, ISMs, all of those forward-looking even, indicators. Even, Beige even, book. Even the, even the PMIs data, what it's showing is the sentiment, the expectations, the purchasing managers indices. These decisions are taken on the back of the broader macroeconomic geopolitical sentiment which we're all experiencing. So it's very much driven by what's happening with the China-US tensions, what's happening with with the change in Germany from from Draghi to Lagarde. Uh, Is there an element of Germany pushing away from its black zero, from Schwarzenegger? So all of these are policy, political developments which impact sentiment, impact uncertainty, and as a result, the underlying economic data. Can I ask you then about the impact for the dollar index? Because we've been talking a little bit about yield differentials by default when we talk about central bank policies. And there was a brief moment in session yesterday when the dollar was on the defensive. So we just come, on, come off some of the really high levels that we've had for the last month or so, just pulling back a bit. Does that mean we're starting to see the decline now of the dollar? Is it just too early to call that? I, I think that's too early. We've been positive on the US dollar for quite some time. And I still maintain that, that view for two reasons. Interest rate differentials will continue, in my view, to move in favor of the US, and also economic differentials will continue to favor in, 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 with, with the US. So both economic and interest differentials in favor of the US dollar, so positive dollar versus the majors, but selectively positive emerging markets versus the dollar. So that this is, this is a, quite an interesting different view. If I can go back one step again yeah. and say it's all, and I'm paraphrasing here, so apologies. It's not about the data, it's about the politicians and sentiment that's going on away from the, where the wonks are looking, the economists and what have you as well. Is that a fair paraphrase? At this, in, in, at this particular point yeah. in time, when politicians and policymakers are drivers, totally agree with oh, that. Right. Yes. In which case, I am terrified. Because the politicians are volatile. And again, no particular politician. 
politicians are short-termists. Politicians are always looking at the next election on either side of Atlantic, on either side of the world as well. So if we are reliant on the whims and vagaries of politicians and their policies uh, and their adherence to, dare I say, opinion polls, which is their own form of data as well, then these markets should be a hell of a lot more volatile than they are. And they have been more volatile. Generally, we, well, we have to, well, well, funny you say that. I did look, you know, despite everything, despite <laughs> everything, the Dow is only 4.4% off its record high. Do you know where we've come from? Well, I know you know. We're up 43% since the US election. So we're kind of talking decimals here compared to the bigger picture. Yes, but volatility is still higher than it had been pre-Trump, where we had sort of lows, the all-time lows since the beginning of the VIX. So volatility has risen. And again, in my view, what the Fed is doing, what the central banks are doing, is impacting that volatility, keeping it low, and, and doing the job of, 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 of and you uh, know what? Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market-moving news, you can head to cnbc.com. Or join us again on the show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick, and Karen Show Weekdays on CNBC.